I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. X-Men Evolution. This is the second of three animated, ongoing, multi-season X-Men shows that have ever been produced. And the first time we've actually watched it, certainly all the way through, uh, was just now. Uh, We did not get this much at all in the UK. It began in the year 2000, to coincide, obviously, with the Fox films. It's commendable that it started so steady with such focus... Even though the first season is the weakest, which is, speaks highly of it because it grew into itself, it's commendable that they started like this, knowing what they were trying to do and knowing what they weren't going to be doing. It ran for, I would say, four seasons. It's more like three and a half mm-hmm. in it's terms certainly of. Certainly in American terms, yeah. yeah. The fourth season has eight episodes, um, including the double episode finale. And the second season, as is customary, is considerably longer than the rest, with 17. Uh, it, it, it's 52 episodes all told, which averages out. You can get, in the UK, for perspective, this is a, a, a point against it, you can get the first season, the weakest one, uh, on four DVDs that were released at pocket money prices. They were only aiming at children with that. The first of four DVDs related to the second season, the rest were not released. And in America, the rest were released for season two. They released season three, which we had to buy and get imported from the States. And then season four was never released on home video. So we had to find the rest of season two and all of season four by other means in doing so. I found the entirety of uh, X-Men Evolution uh, in HD, uh, available online, which uh, if you're in the UK, you can certainly search for... I mean, someone might have an archive of them on the internet. But if you're in America, you can just see them on Disney+, Plus because you're allowed. It's America. In the UK, it feels like not only did they not release it, they just didn't want us to watch it. We were, it was being withheld. And yeah, at the time when it came out, I was 20, so it would have felt kiddie to me. But as I get older, we've been, thanks to Disney Plus kind of having loads of these Marvel shows all in one place, we've been able to go back and just devour them in a few nights. And this is the third longest running Marvel show after the da 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 X-Men show from 1992 and Radioactive Spider-Man from 1994. Notably, it also, it says it gave birth to a new series, Wolverine and the X-Men, which began airing on November 2009. That's six years after this finished. Mm. 
That's a long time between That's them. That's not gave birth. That's put in a time capsule, buried under a rock and waited for someone to dig it up. Everyone just sort of went home and then came back because apparently the same creative team was behind the show. Wow. So Craig Kyle, Christopher Yost, Stephen E. Gordon, Greg Johnson, Boyd Kirkland all returned to work on the series and they've all worked on really good Marvel entertainment shows as well before and after this. Uh, let's start with the bad, because there are plenty of good points to this, but I'm going to just get off my chest the things that I really wish they'd done differently. Okay, num point number one against it, limited distribution, as I've already just said. They made it hard to see it. It is even now hard to see it. Nowhere near enough toys, and the toys are not fantastic. So like, they, they released a bunch back in the early 2000s. I remember actually really liking the Magneto figure, even though I wasn't able to see the show. Uh, but uh, it, should, it just didn't get anywhere near the amount of like the Toy Biz uh, era X-Men. They were much more, at the time, it was Hasbro doing movie figures that were just fuck ugly. Uh, if you look back on early 2000s X-Men, it's like, this is a disaster. Why did you even bother? But actual points against the show. Minimal Storm. The way they've got it positioned, it's much more focused on the kids. That's, in fact, its greatest strength. I've been lamenting the fact that for years and years and years, the Fox movies didn't focus on the kids. Mm, yeah. This was like, well, the Fox movies are mostly about Wolverine's Juice and Charles and Eric and all of that stuff. So let's make this one for the kiddies, the way that they do with Batman. So, like, the Batman stuff's got serious dark Joker and Two-Face. And so let's have the Batman for the kids and beware the Batman for the kids and deliver a version that ironically ends up sometimes more mature depending on episode but wolverine and storm wisely they've maintained them as sort of they've got teacher status rather than trying to somehow package a teenage wolverine put a pin in that put a claw in that put two claws in that they make him a teacher and if you compare him to cathal j dodd's classic wolverine this is if you'll pardon the phrase, an evolution. Mm. And I, I again, I've, I've gravitated back around to a plus point. I like Wolverine in this. He looks like he's had his nose broken. He's got this kind of pug face. They're not trying to make him look handsome, but compared with Cathal J. Dodd's, like, sticking his knives in everyone's faces and trying to have a fight with everyone and, and saying he's going to cut you he, just as soon as you enter the room. Including this, the fridge. This guy is kind of like a gruff well self-restrained teacher and he maintains that but also they put wolverine kind of in on in the back seat like he's there but it's not every episode's a wolverine one he is avuncular yeah man they're gonna trash this place before we even get moved back in logan have you ever you know really cared for someone liars i mean you felt it so strong that you couldn't even get the words out yeah once most beautiful bike I ever saw. I was so speechless, someone else bought her. <sighs> Not wire strippers, pliers. Use your eyes, kid. The problem is, how's the guy supposed to know if the girl feels the same way? Look, here's how I see it. I'd like to finish this job before New Year's. So if you don't tell her, I will. Uh, no, that's, that's okay. I'll do it. However, Storm barely gets a look in. She's there, but she doesn't get to talk. She doesn't get episodes. There's one episode where she's attacked by an African demon shaman guy. 
and becomes a wilting flower and a damsel in distress and ends up getting rescued by her nephew. It is a dreadful shame how much is not done with Storm. But you won't get past me. <laughs> Testing me. Hmm? All right, then. It's time you remembered why they call me Storm. On the other hand, they did a lot with Storm and gave her a huge amount of spotlight in the 1992 X-Men. It just, it feels a bit odd that Storm's present, but she's not doing anything. What is this, the fucking Fox X-Men films? It probably wouldn't feel, well, it wouldn't feel quite so bad. It would still feel as bad, but, but I think what makes it a little bit worse is that they've brought in this new character who I'm sure you're going to talk oh, about. Oh, he's my next point. Um, His name is Spike. Yes. He is Poochie. Yes. I um, can't stand him. But it almost feels like, well, we have a black teen boy. For, for the black the teen boys to like. Um, we we can't really fit another black character in the liner, in the front and centre liner. We're not so. courting black 30-year-old women, so we don't so need to give her any lines. So let's just, you know, put her somewhere in the background. Yeah, but you're also not courting 112-year-old Canadians. Well, indeed. <laughs> One of the worst things I, th- I think about Storm is, can you remember... At any point in this entire show, there's probably one or two. Anybody calling her Aurora? No, no, well, it's it's kind of an extension. Occasionally, Spike says Auntie O. Seeing her out of uniform. Yeah, no, that did not happen. I remember, like in the first episode with Jubilee of the '92 show, she's just shopping at the mall. Yeah. Now I get that everybody in this wears the same fucking outfit the entire time. I refuse to believe that the kitty pride they paint in this show does not have an entire closet of clothes, but she always wears the same denim Capri pants it's fine. and little twin set cardigan. But to take this character, goddess, beloved goddess character, and go, she is only ever in her superhero costume. Yeah. She is not really a person is a great loss. You see, Storm is an absolutely huge deal, but if you look at her screen appearances, you would wonder why, aside from the 92 cartoon. In which she was magnificent. Yes. Lightning and thunder! And wore several different outfits. Yes, Jubilee, you must come with me, I will be your guidance. Anyway, uh, Spike... Honestly, the the problem with Spike is that he started off as a character they made up to court the young urban market. And there's other... And you know they probably wrote young urban market in the notes. There's you? other things you can do. <laughs> like, there's a character uh, in Generation X called Evan who... I mean, yeah, is Spike's name Evan? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, who is Sync, whose, whose abilities are effectively to... to twin and replicate other people's uh, mutant powers, but they must just have decided he's too much like Rogue. So they've given him Marrow's powers. Marrow is a Morlock who kind of got left behind after the Morlock massacre in the 80s. They cleared out the sewers and this little girl with this horrible mutation wherein huge bony protrusions came out of her head and arms and shoulders and she could sort of pull them out of her body and use them as daggers. It's the grossest, saddest mutant power. But for Spike, 
He's just like a skateboarder and he's rad and he has no problem with this thing until he does. And then he has one episode of having a problem and then then exit stage left. Well, no, the show carries on, but he's not. Yeah, he steps out and joins the Morlocks. It's like, I have become Marrow. I must join the Morlocks. No one informs Charles. Charles doesn't talk to him. No one talks to him. I think he says to to Auntie Ro, I've just got to go, okay? I just have to. It's almost like the... uh, focus groups they asked didn't particularly like Spike, so they wrote him out. That is rotten. Don't create this character. Turns out he's got nothing to him, and then you write him out. He's like Myers from uh, Hellboy 1. Mm, yeah. They failed to rastify him adequately. But that's the thing. Like, If you're going to do something for like little black kids to watch and look at and kids of colour who aren't necessarily African-American but feel like at least there's some representation that's not just white, white, white across the board the way that the Uncanny X-Men started. But either way, uh, Spike kind of sucks as a character and it seems like everything that Storm could do, they give to him. Mm. Which is, again, telling. I'm telling you, I got it covered. A few points, a few spikes. I mean, so what? This is New York. Evan, you need to take this seriously. The Xavier Institute can offer you training. I don't need training, man. I can take care of myself. Anyone messes with me? You want to play tonight? The Spike Man is ready. Misuse your powers, go to jail. Yeah, yeah, no problem, Antio. Everything's cool. Evan, I saw what happened to you out there tonight. When you fell. Hey, it's no big deal. I got it under control. Uh, Bless you. Busted, huh? Big time. again. Evan, please listen to me. Let us help you. You know, if they don't like us, that's their problem. I just gotta take a break. Everything's so crazy right now. But we can help you through this. Please don't worry about me or look for me. I'm with friends. Goodbye, Antio. I have to go now. My planet needs me. Poochie's dead! <laughs> There's too much mystique sneaking. Yeah. I compared her in the end to uh, Jean Parmesan from uh, Arrested Development. Like, you, one of the X-Men would sorry, be... Sorry, you did? Uh, yeah, just sorry. Sharon has put me right. See, Sharon disguised herself as me so convincingly <laughs> that I went... <laughs> when it turned out to actually be Sharon. So I got a call today from Jean Parmesan, our private eye. He said he found something big. We have a private eye, huh? Oh, I hired him a hundred years ago to find out if your father was cheating on me. He never did find anything. Well, he can't be very good then. Uh, what did he find? He said he wanted to tell hey, us in person. Daddy, don't get up. I just find the supplies because I'm a private detective. Gene Parmesan, how are you doing? Ah, Gene! Oh, Gene, isn't he the best? Gene was far from the best. Very impressive. Thank yeah. you. Gene Parmesan, Lucille Bluth. My son is trying to get me out of my house. I think he may be up to something. Oh, hold on. That's probably him. Gene? It's just some idiot with balloons. Oh, is it? Ah, I knew it! 
I want you to keep an eye on my son, Job. And Tobias gets medical attention. Thank God, a new doctor. Finally, he can get a straight answer in this place. Uh, I've got some bad news. I'm Gene Parmesan. How you doing? Mystique begins as Principal Darkholm, who is uh, running Bayville High, a high school that most of these X-Men kids go to. So you've got this sudden new version of Mystique, and rather than being an angry mutant freedom fighter living with her lesbian life partner, Destiny, but rather than just being a mutant freedom fighter, she's this plant as the principal of the school. She's very well aware there's plenty of mutants, Mutants are not a known thing in this version of the show yet. They don't become so until the beginning of season three, end of season two. And also, Xavier's um, school is not operating as a school to begin with. It's the Xavier. More of a boarding house. And it's it comes across like a like a children's home. Yeah, the kids all go to school. To the local. They collect at one point. They collect their backpacks from Beast Mm. on the way. So it's it's kind of sweet, but they're not being educated on the grounds on the premises. It's like that scene in Sing where the pigs Mm. handing out all the bags to the kids on the way out the door. Yeah, I thought of that too. Principal Darkholm Raven. There's this scary, shadowy figure, and it's like it's Mister Sinister the whole time. The man in charge. It's Magneto, but everything about him is Mister Sinister. Sinister. Including He's his obsession. In everyone's genes. He wants their genes. He wants Scott in particular, and his brother Havoc turns up, like Alex later on. They both have white hair for some reason. It's, it was like they're at their Magneto groupies. The Super Saiyan. Quite possibly one of the most recognizable and iconic designs in the history of modern anime. Rich taking over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard all that before. No, no, no. Rage Royale taking over. This is the last time I'm going to tell you! Get out of here right now, Gohan! Principal Darkholm could be conflicted, like she's getting orders from Magneto, but she has her own ideas about how things could be done or should be done to reach out to these mutant kids. There's a lot of potential there. In the end, she ends up getting rumbled... And then sneaks around for all of season two, the longest season, pretending to be various other people, including a British girl with purple hair who's basically Betsy Braddock, only her name is Risty, and she makes friends with Rogue, and she has a voice like this the whole time. And it's like, this is Mystique getting closer to Rogue, her daughter, question mark? I mean, what what kind of relationship do they have? And apparently it turns out she adopted Rogue as a baby, so Rogue is not like a runaway as a teen. She was four, Four. apparently, when she An infant. Yeah. A, a, a toddler. Yeah. Uh, but she can't really remember her. Either way, myst- there's there's a lot of mystique. And it felt like there was the longest time before we really knew her deal. And I don't think we ever did really know her deal. Mm. It feels like she had a lot of things to say, but never really said them. And eventually, <laughs> Rogue and her other, her other sibling, uh, Kurt Wagner, Nightcrawler, who kind of end up getting a brother-sister relationship out of this... Mystique is able to go, please, I have, I did this because I loved you. And they're like, ah, fuck off. (laughs) 
it, that's sort of a triumphant moment because ultimately she's being judged by her actions, not by her intentions and her private, hidden, uh, you know, ulterior motives. Yeah, there's a weird imbalance going on with Mystique in this because there's a discrepancy between her performance... Her performance as, as Risty, the purple-haired English girl who's like, oh, so jolly good, tally her. Well, more everything... Uh, I've got a pony. I ate the first one, but I kept the other. Everything she does, her vocal intonation and the way that she's drawn her facial expressions around it, regardless of who she's playing, everything she does seems to have some kind of personal drive behind it. But, but also what everything is she does it's seems to be because Magneto told her to do it. She's got the feminine mystique going on it's, there. It's just, it's weird. It's... It... Put it like this. Mystique became a screen icon, the uh, Rebecca Romain version. We also don't know her deal in those fucking Brian Singer movies. And we do know her deal in X-Men First Class, but then that sort of becomes disengaged as Singer takes back over again and and, uh, and internal motivation isn't actually all that important and to Jennifer Brian Singer. And Jennifer Lawrence entirely loses interest in oh, sitting in the makeup chair. She checked the fuck out. She really did. I think the, the this is the one good thing I will ever say about X-Men 3, but Rebecca Romain performance mm. in terms of the when she loses her powers mm-hmm. and how she reacts to that is one of the best things in that film. I said we, we were discussing that and, and sort of uh, Eric leans over and goes oh you're straight now no need for you and then walks off in the uh, X-Men 3 film it would have been really kind of a moment if Wolverine had then, if Logan had then opened up the door at the X-Mansion and uh, Rebecca Romain white lady standing there and she's like you want Magneto, huh? I can give him to you. Wolverine, Booby, I'm I your now white knight. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she just disappears. It's Because that's a fuck-awful film directed by Brett Ratner. Yes, it is. Uh, honestly, that film is unconscionable. Like Wolverine, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine is a terrible, shitty film, but at least everybody in it sort of behaves like they would. I suppose we can discount the not Deadpool in it. Uh, but the way people behave in X-Men 3 is ludicrous. Like, I've, I've said this before. Storm fries Callisto alive and then says some kind of smirky, like, hot enough for you when, like, her lip stud grows red hot in her corpse because Storm just killed a Morlock. Specifically, Callisto, someone she has a very complicated relationship regards leadership of the Morlocks. Someone whom she is historically very merciful to, specifically. Repeatedly. And then there's a character named Spike who runs at Wolverine, throwing bone bits at him, going, I hope I get to kill Wolverine before I get to him because then he's just going to kill me. What are the odds, kid? Yeah, no, then Logan just kills him angrily. Again, they they perpetrate our heroes, ladies and gentlemen, the Morlock Massacre in X-Men 3. Mm-hmm. Think about that and just allow your blood to curdle just one little bit. Yeah. And then Gambit turns up and it's like, well, all of my guilt and shame subplots are pointless <laughs> at this stage. Now I can judge you. <laughs> I guarantee. Okay, other things about uh, X-Men Evolution that are underbaked. Kitty is way too jammy. Kitty has an astonishing level of control over a frightening power, which is her phasing. Like she can, she successfully phases in and out casually of walls, of doors. At one point, she's halfway through a kitchen table eating. And I'm like, no, her head's protruding from the top. The food would gather in a 
blob inside her esophagus, unable to penetrate the table. It's like it, she couldn't eat food if she's face. It no. <laughs> if she's going through the table, she's also going through the food. It's too dangerous. Like she wouldn't. She and hey, another thing is in the comics, she can't phase and breathe at the same time. In this, no such restriction. Mm-hmm. Although one of the really, because her lungs can't draw in air. Yeah, one of the really good bits in this again is uh, when she is. It, it's proven <clears throat> to be a dream. Yeah, but she phases through a. a Rock and just starts sinking into the ground, into the earth, and has no idea when it's going to stop, if it will. Oh, it's going to be super difficult for Kitty to get out of this situation. Actually, it's going to be super easy. Barely an inconvenience. She just walks out of a cave. (laughs) The best Kitty moment is, in fact, when, conversely, she's really, really trying to stop a huge calamity from happening with her phasing, but she's holding and holding it, and she can't hold it indefinitely, and a massive fucking explosion happens and just makes you go, oh my god. Stakes, folks. People struggling, folks. If you're going to make a show about teenagers, they have got to struggle. Yeah. They can't and all just do everything super easily, barely an inconvenience. The idea of it being a, a school and that they are just learning to use their powers means that a lot of the stakes are around, I should be able to do this thing, but I can't. Yeah. Being able to look at a certain other mutants who are not in our focus, who can do really, really well with their powers, mm. and then they can't. Yeah. I, I would draw the line definitely at uh, in X-Men Apocalypse, all the other girls in the X-Men mansion are like that freak about Jean Grey. Because what? She's a, she's a telepath? Oh, you mean like Charles Xavier? The fuck? Are, like, who wrote that? I know who wrote that. Oh, Kinberg. Simon Kinberg, that's Kinberg, the Kinberg, yeah, bastard. Bastard. Anyway. Oh, one another good thing. Uh, after Mystique retires, always forcibly retired as uh, Principal Darkholm, she's replaced by Principal Kelly, who is basically Senator Kelly. Uh, but imagine if you had a school principal and mutant. The word word about mutants just got out, and suddenly this principal is really keen to remind all the Homo sapien kids in the school that they can still achieve, even though there were all these filthy mutants out there. And he's really got an anti mutant axe to grind, but he does so in a passive aggressive way. It's terrifyingly real, in just in terms of singling out kids by exclusionary language. Fiery temper! It's a dangerous combination with your kind of powers. I have control of my emotions. And I have a responsibility to keep the normal students out of harm's way. Uh, Eric Lenscher, Magneto, is a dick. There is no connection between him and Charles in this. No. They do not have anything going on, which is obviously in massive contrast to all the movies, mm. uh, but also in the 92 series and all the comics. Like They don't interact with each other. And this version of Eric is a shit-stirrer. Like, there's there's just a bridge, and not, nothing's particularly going on. And Eric makes sure that some little girl falls off the bridge so that he can stoke up fear of mutants because... Like, was it Avalanche or...? It was Angel. Angel, he, that's it. He wanted to make it appear that Angel had pushed the kid. In actual fact, Angel saves the kid. Yeah. But Magneto tries to turn the narrative around in order to prove to Angel that people hate mutants. Yeah. He's like those uh, mercenaries who turn up 
up in the purge because not enough people are purging. That's about the size of it. And also, there is no or little to no exploration of who Magneto was before. Mm-hmm. He is just a guy who turns up to cause shit. And Welcome to things, No Sympathy Night, Eric Lencher. Yeah, some of the things that he, he does or has done in the past, which you learn of very briefly, are so counter to almost every version of Magneto that I've ever seen, that it really would make more sense if this was Mr. Sinister. He's always been manipulative, but there's a point when Wanda uh, is in the mix. She's trying to kill him repeatedly. And there's a point where he could just say, Wanda... I know you want to kill me, but what I'm trying to do is so much more important than either of our lives. I've got to do something about you. It's not about that. He's just like, mm, I knew you'd continue doing this, right? I'm going to have your mind wiped by Mastermind. Yeah. It's like, that's the other thing you well. awful shit. I, I know that we, we always say this continually going back to him being a Holocaust survivor is, it, it is eventually going to be impossible to mm-hmm. repeat. But you can keep the character elements of what that left him with. He, prior to the show, he puts his daughter in an institution. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, when she comes back out again, threatens to have her mind wiped in what is not an un-Nazi way. Yeah. But uh, in rubbish representations of Eric Lencher, he has done things in a not un-Nazi way. Well, that's X-Men true. He's, I suppose then, yes, with that lens, he's not wildly different to the... Um, in Ian McKellen, the, you know, he could have played a really fantastic Eric Lencher had he ever been given a really fantastic Eric Lencher character to play, mm. but he never was. Yeah. There's a handful of scenes in which he absolutely mm. steals the show, but it's because he's Ian McKellen. You should have given me a script when you had the chance, Charles! That's very good. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, Kitty is too jammy. Eric is a dick. Gambit's a creep. At one point, he kidnaps Rogue, and like they're in a train car, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll let you go, Cher, but just listen to my story." And then he's still, like, he threatens everyone with his little explodey thingies, and uh, he's not actually an X Man. He's actually a, a villain and a lackey, and he never really comes out of that. He's he's only in a few episodes. He only t- he doesn't talk at all in his first appearance, and is even more creepy his, that I, way. I will say this: his voice actor is fucking appalling. He's so bland. Mm, yeah. He's, he's he's weirdly removed. He sounds like someone from a young adult novel, like like uh, yeah. the guy who was in, uh, I don't remember his name, six or five or uh, from, um, do you ever see a Divergent film? Uh, no. I'll tell you, you could see one and you'd have forgotten it. Okay. But yeah, he's like that. Mm. He's got, his hair is shit. His hair. His clothes are terrible. Shit hair. He's just... Uh, uh, don't even bother putting Gambit in if this is what you're going to do with him. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, also at no point did Rogue say, why, you're about the same age as I am, therefore it's a bit less creepy? Turns to camera, shrug. At no point, he seems like he's in his 20s and she's a teenager. It's hard to find clips for X-Men Evolution on YouTube. It's all all Storm's powers scenes. All, here's all their uses of powers. The conversations and who they actually are don't matter. But this one is entitled, My Favourite Rogan Gambit Scenes. What are you doing here? Just passing by, Cherie. Nice day. Uh, what do you think you're doing? You are way too tense, Cherie. And I have just the thing for you. Something to help you relax. <laughs> Are you insane? The guy looks like a date rapist! What is it with you and cards? Well, it's like having 52 explosives tucked away in one little pocket. 
Mm-mm. I like to keep all my red flags in one place as well. Bobby's an idiot. This is Bobby Drake, Iceman. He, at one point, they're on a ship that looks like the Titanic. He stands on the front and shouts, I'm the king of the world, and then makes an iceberg at the front of the ship that they're about to ram into. Words cannot describe what a fucking idiot Bobby is. Mm. I'm just grateful he's not in it much. Yeah. It's almost like Spike leaves and Bobby goes, I heard you were short an asshole. <laughs> However, he all of to be comic relief. All of this pales in comparison to Boom Boom. My God, Tabitha. <sighs> She's a girl who throws firecrackers around, steals people's cars, and laughs about it. She's supposed to be a party girl, but the character she most resembles is She-Hulk from the uh, Incredible Hulk TV series. Let's have a flashback to when we covered the animated Incredible Hulk on our Patreon. Predictably, the internet hate boys hate She-Hulk Attorney at Law. This version of She-Hulk is like time for this old gal to get herself out and do some shopping. Oh my god, that's all she ever does and says! Right, okay. I, it's I party will, time for this little She-Hulk. I will Mama's favourite She-Hulk is gonna take to the dance floor and do some shopping. I will modify... Oh boys, the, wait for little old me. That she is a terrible, terrible character. She is not a terrible, She terrible is horribly character. written. She is insanely simplistic. She has barely one dimension. She is always She-Hulk. After that initial transformation, I don't think we ever see Jen. There is one bit where she's like brown eyes, and then she goes and looks at the mirror and goes, don't turn back into Jen. I'm like, yeah. oh, this could be interesting. Do is it? explore it? No. no. Um, like, that's self-loathing. Absolutely. So once Bruce saved me with that blood transfusion, voila, She-Hulk took center stage. Take it easy, okay? No way! Right now, it's time for this gamma bombshell to make one rockin' reunion entrance of the She-Hulk kind. This is as far from the hate boys as I can get. This is not giving a woman a chance to have a decent character. And so too it is with Boom Boom. Sorry, my voice is absolutely fucked. She's selfish and the, the show doesn't even think she's selfish. The show thinks she's enough fun for all of this selfish behaviour to be worth it. Mm. Uh, She's not. She she bounces back and forth between the Brotherhood and the X-Men, doesn't care, has no particular affiliations, doesn't want to do anything or go anywhere. She, she does want to go places, but just for fun. Mm. Like it, Everything's a gas to her. She has one episode where it transpires that the reason she is this way... Is her is father is an inconsiderate prick. Her father is like... He's like a really shit version of the dad in Firestarter. He has mm. used her since her mutant powers developed uh, as a, a thieving tool, yeah. basically. So she ran away. But so kind of like uh, Francisco Delgado. Yeah, yeah. But that exploration gets about maybe 15 minutes because there is also a B story going on in mm. that episode. I can't remember what it was. It's an early Boomer episode. That's the problem. Yeah. It happens about three appearances in and then is never referred back to and she yeah. continues and being she, a colossal and asshole. after this has happened and her father's found her and they've had a confrontation of sorts, she doesn't change. She doesn't, she doesn't adjust learn her behaviour 
in any way. So it's like, well, what was the point of even doing that? Yeah, no. Uh, she's heinous, and uh, it makes every episode she's in worse. There's also not enough Charles Xavier, and he's too perfect. Even the original and the movies, to some degree, kind of interrogated Charles Xavier's motives and manipulations. And Logan definitely uh, uh, was a kind of a character assassination of him. But in this, he's just a benevolent teacher who's always inaccessible. Like, he's elsewhere. He's not there when people need him. And there's one moment... But the, but the show is not disapproving of his not being there, because he always means no. well. But there is one moment when he, he does something <clears throat> which is really terrible. A her, what appears to be a horrendous error of judgment. Yeah. And I went, ooh, this is Xavier being a bit more Scott starts to compelling. call him out on it. And you're like, oh and, my God, you're going to lose Scott and earlier than you're supposed to. Then it turns out it was Mystique all along. Yes, it was me. Ah! Twas I. I. <coughs> And and honestly, I know this is going back to an earlier point, but it was Mystique all along is leaned on so heavily in this as to be really annoying. You know how in the shitty X-Men movies, like someone would turn around and you'd go, yellow flashy eyes, cat eyes, it was Mystique all along. And they would do that in things like X-Men Apocalypse, even though that actually doesn't make any sense for the story that's happening. Like they're, they're so eager to do that bit that they don't even care what it actually entails like I said Mystique is a very complex character one of the best in the X-Men universe you start with a slowly unfolding I suppose Snape style story of like I couldn't tell you this the 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 burden of a double agent ultimately but Here's what it comes down to and what it always comes down to with the X-Men, and we have said this time and time again with the multiple iterations that we've looked at. It's it's about the characters. It's not about the powers. And in this, they they do a weird balance of the two. Mm. Some people, they really look at character. Other people, all they look at is the powers. Yeah. Uh, And there's one particular panel uh, written by Claremont that should absolutely have been present in the only one of the three X-Men cartoons with both Kitty and Charles present. He's present in the first one, she's present in the third one, they're both present here. But this should have been a sensibility. It's Kitty turning around and shouting while pointing, Professor Xavier is a jerk. He needs to do things that make the kids shout things like that to make them angry at whatever he's doing there needs to be some kind of clash between the age groups and they don't take enough advantage of that another thing that isn't actually written down but it can really be summed up in how they're positioning boom boom uh, there is a bit of creaky old like a 60 year old man going hey you kids we know you like the rock and roll right uh, she's listen like Boomer at one point is listening to what sounds like Fleetwood Mac during the years. She should be listening to Linkin Park. <laughs> Just don't try to reach out to the kids if you if what you're doing feels horrendously dated and inauthentic. You sound like those videos they put on in class that every kid rolls their eyes at. Fleetwood Mac, one of the greatest bands of all time, by the way. Rumors, one of the greatest albums of all time, closely followed by Tusk. If Boomer was listening to Fleetwood Mac, that actually gives her dimensionality. But they're using this rock band as shorthand for you kids and your music. 
can't come out, guys. I have a baby, baby now. Because of prom! How do you do, fellow kids? What's more important than life and partying? This sounds like we don't like X-Men Evolution. We really, really did. Okay, so now let's talk about some good things, because there is loads in here. There's 52 episodes, and most of them are really actually pretty damn good. Like, even the ones that are weaker have some element in them that is compelling. We chomped through all of these really quickly. We did, yeah. Seasons three and four are more serious, and they focus on persecution. You know how the uh, the first X-Men series, we really dug how they just did not pull their punches regarding how people would become scared and aggressive and defensive, and it would make life, being a mutant, incredibly hard. I, I felt that transition between two and three yeah. in, as, as things became much more dangerous, volatile. Yeah, it's it's that what the 92 series really got across was this sense that prejudice and discrimination are a constant backdrop. They are not something that happens in an episode which can for be the then week, dealt which with. is then dealt with and then you move on. It's always there. It yeah. permeates everything. Even when you think you've you've sorted it, you still have to keep an eye on it rearing its head again. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's less of a thing at the beginning and it becomes more of a thing and I think that is that is in direct proportion to how out they are. Mm. Because initially, like you said, they're very they're keeping out all their mutant powers under wraps. Nobody at the school knows that there's anything unusual about them. Um, it, it's something that comes to a head in season two. Culturally speaking, I think we rested on our laurels too much in an Obama era style, or slightly before the Obama era, but circa nineties, two thousands sense that things were getting better in terms of prejudice and that we were moving out of what we felt like the struggles of the civil rights era, that kind of like brazen naked prejudice right there on the street, so ugly and horrendous. We had somehow managed to reduce people who expressed themselves like that to can't say anything anymore, everything's gone all PC and I don't like it. And it's like, that's your term, guys, you assholes. You're just, what, what, what you mean is I'm not allowed to be horrible to people because people tell me it don't now. Mm. And we felt that we had somehow progressed beyond that. And then the pushback has made the X-Men as a series incredibly relevant. Mm. I, th I think a lot of it was to do with, like, in the Clinton era, it got kind of pushed underground, and they they had a lot of legislation that sort of codified, you can still discriminate, but you've got to do it in quite a subtle way. Um, you could discriminate in the privacy of your own home. Uh, don't ask, don't tell, and Section 28, I'm yeah. specifically thinking of. Um, but then... Post 9-11, I think what happened was a lot of the really it was okay to hate discriminatory Muslims. shit yeah. was all pointed in the same direction. So some of the others felt like it kind of was getting ignored. Yeah, that uh, the drum of patriotism was beating so loud that the uh, bile that came out of that era was uh, not heard yeah. with enough clarity. Yeah, Rogue is nicely updated and focused on as a prickly goth. So rather than being the R-Shucks, Applejack-type rogue from the uh, 
I, I really like that version of Rogue from the 90s. I'm not sure whether she'd work now. She's almost too much of a cartoon character. But this version of Rogue seemed really natural as a fit for her. Way better than Anna Packin's Mrs. Mouse. Mm. Like, yeah, although I, I really got the impression that they were trying to do the emo thing with Anna Packin's character. It's just that they didn't really give her enough of that to do. She's not spiky enough. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, for, for the uh, edginess that Spike lacks, for example, Rogue absolutely has this kind of... She reminded me most of Stokely from The Faculty. And I feel like in a film, she'd fit in well, or rather the awkwardness of her being there with pointy edges towards the New Mutants, mm. if they were doing that kind of film again, where mm. it's like a bunch of kids thrown together in a very uncomfortable scenario, bottle episode. Mm. Uh, honestly, as underachieving as that final Fox X-Men film, put a pin in that for Deadpool 3, was... The New Mutants did achieve a few things that none of the previous films had even tried. Mm, yeah. A gay relationship. It's, it just sort of happened out of nowhere. It was almost like you could have gay characters without really trying. Gene and Scott, the pretty breeder pair, are central and engaging. They, uh, like, there's this kind of, we always know they're going to end up together, but Gene got to really stand up and be front and center. It was impossible to make fun of her in comparison to the 90s Gene because she didn't just spend their whole time yelling each other's names earnestly at each other and occasionally, in Gene's case, making sex noise. Noises. Yes, although they did happen occasionally enough for us to tease him whenever they did it. Scott, Gene, it's just th <gasps> they were going out of their way to just go. No, these are. This is a uh, not exactly a jock, but like a sport guy teenager mm. who's driving a red antique AC Cobra around. This this is a car for middle aged movie stars. It is not a car you give to a 16-year-old oh. boy who can't take off his glasses he's, or he'll fire laser beams. He's not the jock. He's not the sport guy. Jean's the sport guy. Oh, yeah, she's doing the... Uh, she's she does the, soccer. She's like MVP of the soccer team. Okay. But something about Scott does have... Uh, it holds to him being like a team leader. He's tall and attractive and he has 90s curtain hair. Yeah, there is that. Uh, but... <laughs> But yeah, that Jean's uh, running around the place in uh, in cargo pants, and I'm just like, yeah, this is a Jean I could get with. Just in terms of, uh, she's assertive. She doesn't just wilt all the time. She has a lot more to do than Storm, and it's it's a nice change to see her. Like they're not just doing Phoenix, and at the very very end, they were like Phoenixy Phoenixy, and we were like, ah, oh, if there was a season five, it'd probably be to do with Phoenix. Confirmed, by the way. Heavenly. But um, yeah, no, it's 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 noteworthy that they established her as not just the good girl, but as a uh, a character in her own right who had a very strong sense of justice. Yeah. Both Hank and Kurt are blue and fuzzy, but they handle it in different ways, which is commendable. Hank, they seem to be uh, honing in on the Grant Morrison. I'm slowly becoming a monster, and this scares the shit out of me. Uh, and he ends up becoming a teacher, but it's almost like a he gravitates to a place that welcomes him with open arms when he's feeling estranged from respectable academia. Mm, yeah, but you're right about them handling it in different ways. Um, they give Kurt the image inducer mm. that he wears as a like a wristwatch that will make him look like a normal kid. And a big, with blue hair. Yeah, and a big part of that is is part of the whole we're, we're trying to conceal that we are mutants mm. while we're at school. And it means that when some of them have been forced to come out, yeah. Kurt is able to 
remain stealth for a little while mm. because he still has this image induced. But people keep grabbing his watch and saying, come on, show them, show them your blue fur. And it's like, get off me. Yeah. Um, but they, when Hank has his first um, extra mutation come in, they offer him an image inducer and he says no. Mm. Because he does, he while he is afraid of what he's becoming, he also recognises that it is what he is and he doesn't want to run away from it. It's a neat version of Kurt, uh, who I can understand why he'd be a favourite, especially if you were a kid starting to watch this. He kind of comes across as like a foreign exchange student. Like he's yeah. super exuberant and happy to be here, uh, but he's hiding Very a lot of... threatening <laughs> Yeah, he's hiding a lot of sensitivities <coughs> and, and hurt, and, and he is kind of hung up on his, uh, his mutant appearance. Mm. The version in the comics, as written by Claremont, um, was already an adult when he joined the X-Men and had been uh, raised in a circus. So he had kind of a happy-go-lucky cavalier attitude already, but this is a nightcrawler who's on the way up. Yeah. He'd also had a lengthy period of living uh, in a, a remote monastery, so he had mm. this sort of quite zen, philosophical attitude to his circumstances, yeah. which this Kurt has not yet acquired. I did notice that there was an Angel episode that uh, there were some quite beautiful shots in there of Warren flying around a snowy New York City. That was the one where Magneto threw a little girl off a bridge to try and stir shit up. Uh, But it made me think, wow, Warren Worthington III, he's insanely rich, very white, blonde, straight, handsome, refined like you could have all of that and just be a complete pillock but he's also refined as well he's got everything and he also has a mutant power that would make regular people look at him and go oh oh, maybe mutants aren't that bad he looks absolutely wonderful he he kind of makes my heart ache looking at him (laughs) and has he ever been stuck in an elevator in one issue with kurt and kurt's like you know i look like a devil (laughs) they tried to burn me on like Funf occasions. <laughs> you know, we are at opposite ends of the mutant spectrum. The, 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 I am the one they are terrified of. Uh, you have such an easy life. Just an episode which kind of gave Warren just a little bit of fucking perspective. Because after Apocalypse tears off his wings and gives him uh, blue skin and like even more badass shuriken wings, he spends about a decade moping and griping. Mm. And it's like... You had it the best of not only any mutant in the world, but mostly any human being of your age in the world. And now you've got shit to deal with. It just it felt like he needed to maybe spend some time with Nightcrawler. Going, there was a time they threw me to a dog. Ein Hund for his supper. But I teleported away. <laughs> I soup as Welsh. <laughs> Zupper. <laughs> this bedroom is mine? <laughs> of course, Kurt. That's why your parents sent you to us. Because they knew you would be happy here. Happy? How can I be happy when I look like this? I scare people. Mm. I have a surprise for you, Kurt. Put this on. I don't believe it! I... I'm normal! Of course you're normal, Kurt. But not because of that machine. Storm is right, Kurt. Normal is what you truly are. Never think otherwise. Um, is that actually 
something we should be telling kids who are definitely neurodivergent or different in some way? No, no, no. You are normal. You are. How about... You're not normal, Kurt. You're miraculously fantastic. Not a single goddamn one of us within these walls is normal. And our struggle, our challenge, is to get everyone else to just be okay with that. And it's never going to work with everyone, and we are going to fail a lot before we succeed. But I believe we can succeed. Until that time, you are among friends here. Uh, there's some rare love for magma. It's like someone on the writing team had been a fan of the New Mutants. There's a lot of, uh, like, the, the kids in the background who aren't necessarily, like, rusty, uh, aren't necessarily front, you know, frontline X-Men. Yeah. Uh, they but turn they are, up as a group. They yeah. stay as a group. But they're wearing sort of dark blue costumes with, like, sort of, you know, lots of yellow highlights, and it's very much a, a New Mutants vibe, yeah. which itself was kind of riffing on the original uh, 60s Kirby Lee uh, uniforms. And, again, this is just what I want to see in X-Men moving forwards, a focus on the kids and the shit that they're having to deal with. We've hunted Wolverine's juice, and I, I will never get tired of saying this. Yeah. This did give way to the one of the most how do you do fellow kids moments though oh yeah because there's a scene where the the new crowd who have literally ju like just turned up an episode or two ago have a danger room session together and everything's cake that's like their slang word that they use for everything they <laughs> say cake. this was cake to demonstrate that something was easy oh, they that say ball game was cake they were caking and I don't even know what that referred to they just like half a dozen times they use the the word cake or caking to mean something random oh dude could I would cake the anything. cake out of her yeah exactly like that and okay it's like, not the what word what does that even mean take it up with the smurfs <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, the position made me feel old. Derma. Cake and July. Cake at Tanaga. Cake. Fucking hell. Cake. One young kitty on cake cried all the water out of his body. Damak. What is cake? And July. It stimulates the part of the brain called Shatner's bassoon on the ocean. So cough, his eyes open. The beast of Tanagra. Uzani, his army. If someone offers you cake, they might call it Looney Toad Quack. Russell Dust. Chronic Basil and Donuts. Joss Eklund's spunky backpack. Bromicide. Ponce on the Heath. Cool Thwax and Charlie. Argue Barmies. Or Hattie Jake's pretentious cheese wog. Chuck it back in the face and tell him to fuck off. Shaka, when the walls fell. The wonder that they have in this with like badass red jeans and a long red coat mm -hmm. who's angry and tormented and, and has short I punky say, hair. I was frosted tips, but they're red. Mm. Like you had when you were... Young-ish. This feels like it fed into Wanda Maximoff in um, the MCU. 
which, thinking about it, Joss Whedon had a, a big hand in her initiation into uh, Marvel, and they were themselves inspired by Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Joss Whedon was inspired by Kitty Pride to make Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so it's just this giant snake eating its own duplicate's tail. And yes, it is frustrating. Yes, it is frustrating. The well of frustrating. the things that we grew upon and loved has been poisoned by multiple individuals but this is the point where we get to take it back yeah uh also speaking of individuals remember i told you to put those two claws and that pin in young teen angsty wolverine laura x23 debuted on this show she is the harley quinn of x-men evolution she turns up late in season three i think uh yes yeah she comes back later but her intro episode is season three yeah she uh the x-men are visited by a female hydra scientist who talks about the successor to the weapon x project that she's been working on and for the first time in nearly three seasons wolverine actually goes from being kind of gruff and calm to actually being really agitated in this episode just hearing about the shit that this that continues on and the uh, mutants who are also having pointy things put inside them. And, uh, yeah, ultimately Laura is fairly unrecognisable from the Laura in Logan, who was just wonderfully portrayed by Daphne Keene, who I really hope comes back. But She is now old enough to play Laura at this point in her oh, life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She always will be old enough to play Laura. Well, yeah. Because she's Daphne Keene, who was Laura. The version we see in this animated show is very much like this wild animal who's like controlled and on a leash and is you know sent in to do uh, uh, hits. But when she gets to the X Mansion, the kind of fascinating thing about her is all done in uh, silent storytelling. She's just wandering from room to room, looking at the way the kids live and looking at items on their shelves and coveting their normal lives. And by the end, she sort of wants to be away from the uh, people who are manipulating her, and Wolverine helps her with that. And it's it feels like this should have happened in, in mid-season two, and she should have been a main X-Man by season three. Like, he should have tracked her down and uh, like, do something with that. This happened in the comics, so she made that transition herself. So I have a whole bunch of uh, uh, X-23 comics to read. She was in X-Force as well. We can thank this show for her inception. I succeeded in creating the ultimate weapon. But then you couldn't control it. She's out there somewhere. And she must be found. Hydra molded her from birth, removing all distractions, isolating her from any attachments or love. And yet you just let it all happen. It was made very clear that I could leave if I disapproved. For her sake, I chose to stay. We trained her how to blend in naturally with others. But when she watched children having fun, witnessed loving families, Unexpected hostilities emerged. When she was 12, they put her through the Weapon X process. Enough! She's a child, not a weapon! How do you sleep at night? I don't. Weirdly, if he had decided to do that, he probably would have had a legal grounding because if he took a paternity test, it would demonstrate that she was indeed his child. Same DNA. Wolverine DNA. Yeah, they got my juice one time. <laughs> uh, 
And I also say that there was a couple of things that happened in season four, which made me straight up gasp. And I can't think of a Marvel show, an animated Marvel show, that's made me gasp before. I'm racking my brains. I think there was a moment or two in Silver Surfer. Yeah, I was very impressed with that as a show. But that was less to do with plot elements and more to do with just the uh, infinite philosophical capacity that it demonstrated. Yeah. Whereas this, the gasping was down to character decisions. And there's one bit with Rogue and a statue and Kurt and his reaction that just floored me, so to speak. And then they seem to forget about it the next episode. Yeah, that's another problem. There's these incredible dramatic moments. And then the next episode's about someone else on in the school grounds entirely. And then you just kind of move on. And then seven episodes later, one of these characters will say to the other one, hey, remember that time? Yeah, yeah remember that, that time. Because, <laughs> like, finally they've had a previously on X-Men and the characters have all gone, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend having previously on X-Men's quite a lot. And it has an abrupt but melancholy and powerful ending. It feels like, especially with season four only having nine episodes, that they were cut short. If you actually look at the uh, timeline, it was... Uh, 2003 was the year that X2 came out. And so it's like, we're going to make an X3. Why would you, as Fox, cancel your X-Men cartoon as it's getting better and better? And then not replace it with anything until six years later when you replace it with a really, really good continuation. Not the same world, but stylistically and writing team-wise. And then cancel that after one season. That was down to the Disney acquisition. Mm -hmm. And there's been nothing since Wolverine and the Mm X-Men. But I don't understand why they cut it here. But either way, the ending reflects they had plans but that they manage to end on what feels like their terms. And they really do make that final two-parter in which Apocalypse turns up, and you're like, this guy's playing for keeps. It really does feel like a big epic global crisis. So yeah, I would thoroughly recommend watching all of these uh, episodes on Disney Plus if you have the means to, and definitely look around for them if you live in the UK. It's probably going to appeal more to folks who are younger than us and grew up with it, and may not in fact appeal to kids now, because it was dated then. Yes. Oh, yes. But if you're in your 60s, it might feel hip. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally happening. Yeah. Also, none of these shows highlight Colossus. He barely gets a word in in this series, and he's not in the Wolverine and the X-Men. He got, like, two guest appearances in the 92 show. Maybe that's why he gets so focused on in Deadpool, because he deserves it. Yeah. Thanks to you all, we have averted catastrophe. It was not without its price, however. But steel is forged through fire, and like it, we have been made stronger. We are prepared for what the future brings. I know this because I have glimpsed it in the mind of Apocalypse. Many challenges still await us. But I saw some who have been our enemies become friends. And with a heavy heart, I saw the dearest of friends become the most terrible of enemies. I 
I saw my X-Men grow and change. And of course, I saw that some people never change. But one thing was clear, that no matter what awaits us, terrible or wondrous, the X-Men will always be there ready. And of that, I am proud. Apologies for my voice again. I am really, really ill right now. But I still want to say thank you to our patrons who keep us going every week and have helped me contribute towards the many, many bottles of cough syrup and pain medication and tissues and decongestants and more painkillers and honey and throat spray and caffeine and echinacea and vitamin C and this interminable fucking winter cold. And a shout out, like we do every week, to our top tier patrons. Thank you to Aaron Burns, Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandro Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Datchler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finn Barnicole, Frankie Punzi, <coughs> Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clausen, Joe Gluck, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Palmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Sean Doran, Toby Skills Jungius, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Tom Painter, Timu Ellis Hayu, Sarah Montgomery, and Kat Esman. We will be back next week with the show I promised last week about that Star Wars that surprised the hell out of me. This is a big one for us, folks. And luckily, we already recorded it.